Thank you for tuning in to Far Better, where we look to be pleasing to God in this life, so our eternity is far better. I'm your host, Michael Clark, and as always, in our show notes, we've included all of the different means that you can follow us or contact us. We'd love to hear from you if you have an episode idea or a question, a comment. Please feel free to send that to our email address. It's included in the show notes. And we are beginning today one of three lessons on authority and talking about authority. And in this first one, we're going to talk about whether or not we abuse the authority in worship, the authority in worship. We understand that authority is something that means that it's giving an opportunity for someone to have the power or right to give orders, making decisions or enforcing obedience. In fact, when you have someone who has especially got a commanding manner to them, they have a lot of authority in our minds. And when I think about, biblically, who is our authority, obviously you could potentially say, well, the Bible is our authority. And I don't think you would be wrong in saying that. But when we talk about who's our leader, I think you would understand that I would contend to tell you that it would be God. God is our authority. But isn't it so true that the world has constantly disobeyed his authority? Why is that the case? One particular writer stated that there are ten reasons that we test our obedience, or ten ways, I should say, that we test our obedience. I'm not going to look at all ten with you, but I do want to look at some that stuck out to me. Number one, do you ask for reasons when your request is turned down? Obedience is accepting no as a final answer. No questions, appeals, discussions, nothing. You accept it. And of course, when I ask about the obedience of God's commands, that would indicate to me that when God tells me to jump, I say how high, not why should I jump. Or when God tells me to sing, I just simply sing. Or when God tells me to pray, I pray and preach and on and on we could go. So number one was, do you ever ask for reasons when your request is turned down? Number two, do you ever give reasons why you cannot do a job? Obedience is finding ways to overcome obstacles. No negative thinking or failure to be creative. No words like, I can't, are found in the vocabulary of a true obedient worker. Number three, do you ever have to redo a job you did the wrong way? Obedience is following all the orders the first time. No assuming or guessing or forgetting. No self-will. You and I do exactly what we have to do to get the job right the first time. Do you ever think a job is foolish? This happens a lot, doesn't it? But obedience is doing a job and understanding it later. No mocking or whining. No questioning or evaluating. And do you obey whatever you were told to do? Five. Fifth and finally. Obedience is based on what God says is true and right. No blind obedience, no surrender of personal responsibilities. I believe that God is the truth, and I do what God says for me to do. I want us, as we talk about this first episode of abusing worship, do we abuse worship? When I understand the authority is God, then that means that God is the only one who can set the authority for worship. And God has the uh, complete power and responsibility to tell me how to live my life. 
And when I understand that, I'm not going to do what Saul did. You remember 1 Samuel 13, verses 8 and following? I really think it's interesting to study the life of Saul and how Saul went from being king all the way to losing his kingdom. And when you study his life, chapters 13 and 15 is where he loses his kingdom. All because he was not willing to do what the Lord said. I want you to notice that in 1 Samuel 13 and verse 8, Saul is waiting seven days for Samuel to come. But Samuel didn't come to Gilgal. So we first noticed that Samuel was delayed. And Saul was waiting for the amount of time that he said he would be there. Have you ever known someone to say, I'll be there at this time, and they get delayed? I remember years ago we were going to Christian camp, teenage camp over in Knoxville, Tennessee. And there was a major accident. We might have been coming back, but I believe we were heading to camp. But there was a major accident on the highway. And we basically sat still for several hours on the highway. I know this because I was able to watch an entire episode, or an entire season, I should say, of a TV show that we had on, on DVD. We were in a standstill, essentially. We got to camp much later than we thought we were going to because of that accident. Sometimes people get delayed. That's understandable. Nothing wrong with being delayed. And there's nothing really wrong with holding people to a deadline that they give. But in this particular instance, there's a serious reason to wait before doing what Saul is going to do. Why? Well, we're going to notice in just a minute that Saul is the king and that's all he is. But he's going to take it a step further. I want you to notice that Saul had decided to do something in verse 9. He says, Bring a burnt offering and peace offerings here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. You know, as Saul is asking for these items, someone should have given him counsel on what he was about to do. Maybe they did. I wasn't there, so I don't know exactly what happened. But perhaps someone did say to Saul, You know, God wouldn't be pleased with you doing this because Samuel is supposed to offer the sacrifice. But all I know is that even if someone gave him that wise counsel, he rejected it. And as soon as it happened, in verse 10, as soon as he finished presenting this burnt offering, Samuel came. Isn't it ironic to notice this? Specifically with Saul. This type of irony often happens in the Bible where someone is doing something that is wrong and they immediately get caught after they've done it. You know in Numbers 32:23, if you do not do so, take note, you have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out. Saul goes out to greet Samuel thinking that nothing is wrong. Hadn't done anything wrong. And as soon as Samuel sees him, he asks him, What have you done? What have you done? Why are you doing this? 
what is causing you to commit this sin? And so Saul says, I saw the people were scattered from me and that you didn't come within the days appointed. You know, Samuel, if you really think about it, it's your fault. And the Philistines were gathering together. And so I said, well, if the Philistines are going to come down on me at Gilgal, I've not made supplication to the Lord, so I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. What have you done, Saul? Sometimes we need a Samuel in our lives. Someone who will call us out when we don't even realize that we've stumbled. Nathan did this for David in 2 Samuel 12. Saul blames Samuel. I mean, you told us that you would be here within seven days. Why could he have not shown up on time? And if Saul could prove that it really was Samuel's fault, maybe his sin would be covered up. You know, it's the same thing Adam did in Genesis 3.12. The woman whom you gave me, God, she's the reason that I ate of the tree. Well... What happens to Samuel for not showing up on time? Nothing. He hadn't done anything wrong. What happens to Saul for jumping the gun? Notice verse 13. Samuel says to Saul that you've done foolishly. You've not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue the Lord is seeking for himself. He has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to become commander over his people because you've not kept what the Lord commanded you. Samuel was not a priest. So how come he could offer a sacrifice? Typically, the priests offered sacrifices, didn't they? So... Really, shouldn't Samuel also be careful when he's offering sacrifices? Not exactly. You know, the judges offered sacrifices. Gideon, Judges 6, 25 through 27. Priests as well offered, of course, Eli in 1 Samuel 1 and verse 3 and 2 and verse 11. But also prophets of the Lord offered. 1 Samuel 16, 4 through 5. How could Gideon and Samuel offer if they weren't priests? Samuel was a Levite, 1 Samuel 1 and verse 1 and 1 Chronicles 6, 33-38. And Gideon was of the western half-tribe of Manasseh. But while he wasn't a priest, if you notice Judges 6 and verse 11, he was given a direct order from God to offer a sacrifice. And as a prophet of God, he was permitted to offer. The same is true with Samuel. But notice what this means for us with Saul. Had Saul been given an express command to offer? No. Was Saul a Levite? Was Saul someone who was a priest? No. Now what? What happens now? Your kingdom will not continue. What was the cost of disobeying the authority of God but that he lost his kingdom? You know, today we've got a lot of worship assemblies. Is it possible that some of these worship assemblies 
are doing exactly what Saul did, having people who don't have the authority to do what they're doing, leading in worship or participating or doing things that aren't found in the Bible to do in worship, had Saul done anything wrong as far as what he offered? No. What he offered was was correct. He, he did nothing different from what Samuel was going to do. What is the problem then? Authority. Saul didn't have the authority to do what he was told to do. Or what I should say, what he decided to do. Had he just waited for Samuel... Had he just allowed the proper authority to work, he could have kept his kingdom. This isn't the only time you're going to find Saul having a problem with obeying authority. In our next episode, we're going to talk about him abusing the authority of God. And actually, abusing his authority most of all as king. So what, what can we take away from this today? I think the first thing that you and I should take away from this is that we don't make the rules. Saul was king, but he didn't have the authority to make the rules for what he was going to do in worship. That was designated to be done by Samuel. You might have a great thought about what worship should become, you know, but it doesn't mean that that's what's going to happen or should happen. Secondly, I think we can learn from the example of Saul of what not to do. Even if we think we have no other choice. As I look to worship today, my ideas for worship may be different from what the Lord tells me worship is supposed to be. But who's right? Well, if God's the authority, then how can I ever buck up against Him? In truth, I can't. But perhaps I have in the past, and perhaps you have too. The good news is, with the example of Saul, we know now what not to do. We let the Lord choose who's in charge. And we follow after that. And doing so makes our lives far better. So why won't we? We have to do what the Lord says. I want to thank you for tuning in to Far Better for this episode. And don't forget our show notes have all of the ways that you can contact us or follow us. Uh, every week we put out three episodes, and this week's no different. We're going to have two more episodes this week, and in the next episode we're going to talk about abusing authority. And so I want you to remember our opportunity that we have as Christians to please God now so our eternity is far better. <laughs>